Welcome back to another episode of the End of Time podcast, and we're doing something a bit different. We've got a unexpected guest most of the time, and it's my dad. Say hello to the people. Hello. <laughs> so you've been following my podcast for a while, I hope. I have. You Not have. every single episode, but uh, I have uh, watched the majority of them, yes. The ones on YouTube or the ones on Spotify? Uh, both of them. You've been listening to... Oh, okay. You're a dedicated dedicated listener then. I am. I, one of your followers. <laughs> <laughs> have you subscribed? Uh, I have, yes. You have? I okay. have. Okay. You're keeping up with the content. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, this is your... Uh, is this your first time on a podcast? It must be, right? It is, yes. In first the, experience. Uh, at work, have you ever been asked to go on for like a media interview or something like that? Uh, no, I have not. No, but I had plenty of uh, presentations in front of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This I had to do, yes, yeah. but a podcast per se, no, or media or, or things like that, no. Is this dynamic a bit weird? Uh, <laughs> yes, to have all this equipment around me, yes, it's, it's a bit uh, weird. And also me, I'm interviewing you, and so it usually is the other way around, isn't it? That is uh, the, the, the most uh, uh, weird uh, uh, thing of... Uh, of the situation so far. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I am in charge here, not you. I uh, follow the uh, instructions. You follow? <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, he's told, he's been told not to laugh at all. At all. He's not allowed to laugh. Okay, I'm going to be very serious the whole, uh, the whole time. <laughs> you can't take his face seriously. I'm going to be serious. I'm going to be very serious. <laughs> very, very serious. When it's appropriate to be serious, I will be. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So let's... So let's start off in the beginning. Like, um, uh, to the people, where did you grow up? How did, how was that? What, what motivated you? Because you're in logistics, right? So what motivated you to go into logistics? Well, my... my, my We've pa- never actually talked about this in depth. No, we have not. Well, uh, my, my parents emigrated from, uh, from Italy to Switzerland. I was born in Switzerland, in the German part of Switzerland. Okay. And uh, in, uh, at the moment, uh, when, when you're 16, at that time, you have to decide if you go uh, towards university. Okay. Or in Switzerland, you have the so-called apprenticeship uh, option, mm-hmm. which entails uh, you go two days per week, you go to, uh, to school to learn the theoretical uh, part of uh, uh, the job you, uh, you, you have chosen. Yeah. And three days, you go to work. Okay. So how it happened, uh, I was not a very uh, uh, good student. I was more focusing on uh, sports, on football, on soccer uh, uh, particularly. So school was not of interest. So school was, uh, uh, well, it was there, of course, you had to do, but I was not a very good uh, student. <laughs> so when I was 15, I certainly uh, was aware that uh, university was not uh, my uh, my direction. Okay. So I started to look for a, an apprenticeship, a, a job. Okay. And why why logistics? There must have been other options, right? Well, the, uh, the topic help. where uh, I excelled was a geography. So uh, at 15, I was thinking, well, what type of job? is there where you need geography. Yeah. And what came to mind was travel agency. So you wanted to become a travel agent? I wanted, well, I, I was looking for an apprenticeship uh, uh, job first, then uh, uh, geography, travel agents, the, this, uh, this made sense. You had to use geography. Yeah. So I wrote uh, applications to various travel agencies. Uh, I had a few exams. I didn't... Uh, 
well, I was not selected. Okay. Uh, then I had another one uh, with uh, a company called Kelly Dollar. Okay. Uh, still around? They are still around. It's, uh, still it's, a, it's a company with more than 100 years of uh, history. Very Bernese in uh, Switzerland, which is the capital of, uh, of uh, Switzerland. So-called capital. It's a bit complicated, isn't it? They, I mean, they don't really see it as a, a capital city, do they? They do they look do? at it. Uh, what the other cantons see as the capital? Well, they pay the taxes. <laughs> uh, they pay all their tax income to uh, to burn, and it is sitting uh, uh, beneath the square uh, in front of uh, the, the the government uh, building. Okay. So anyway, I had this uh, option with Kelly Döller. I went to the travel agency. The the travel agency manager, a very tall man of two point two meters, he oh. scared the hell out of me. He said, <laughs> "No, there is no job." in the travel agency per se, but let me introduce you to the uh, uh, to our HR manager. We may have something in transports. Oh, okay. So... Uh, How does, what, the transport department of the travel agency? Uh, no. Uh, ba- basically, the travel agency was, uh, in, w- w- was on uh, one of the main roads, and behind... Uh, was the uh, the head office okay right so you couldn't see it uh, uh, from uh, from the travel agency per se so it took me through uh, the, uh, the the door introduced okay. me to the uh, HR manager mm-hmm. with whom I had a maybe half an hour uh, interview he said okay very interesting uh, we will invite you for an exam a few uh, weeks later, I received uh, a letter. Please come uh, at a certain date, at a certain time, and we'll have a, an exam and a further uh, interview. Okay. So the exam was about uh, geography, was about uh, Swiss uh, uh, regulations, about Swiss uh, uh, government, uh, Swiss history, a few uh, maths questions. Maybe all in all for uh, for an hour, and Difficult? then well at that time uh, uh, I considered it uh, quite uh, quite difficult. What was weird though, we were all in the same room. Uh, there, there were a few candidates along yeah. with me. We had all the same, uh, same uh, questions, paper, yeah. so we uh, <laughs> basically we could have uh, copied each other's answers, but uh, we didn't. I mean, no? You're competing against each other, right? So you wouldn't. Ultimately, yes. No, but anyhow, after the after the hour when I had finished my exam, I was called to see the uh, the HR manager for having uh, a second interview. Oh, so they. So that was that was always going to happen. The second the, the second interview was always uh, a, a must, a follow up on uh, on the exam. So I had a second chat with him, and uh, all went well. I don't remember any more the specific questions, <laughs> but uh, I felt quite uh, quite good. And I was uh, as you should be when you have an interview. You should be relaxed exactly. because it's a conversation. It's not. Uh, that, that you are uh, on the accused bench and yeah. uh, there, there is a Jew. You've been accused yeah. of murder. Exactly. You're trying to defend yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. so uh, I think it went pretty well. Uh, a few uh, weeks later, uh, I received actually a written uh, contract proposal. Sick. And uh, yeah, then in 1983, I started. Dang, how long is that? 40. 40 years in? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a, it's a long time ago. So, yes. Long time and ago. I remember the contract. The f- first year I was receiving 200 francs per uh, month. The second 200 year. 200 francs a month? Yes. 
the second year 340 and the third year 480 uh, Swiss francs. How does that translate to now? Basically, you can say Swiss francs is one-to-one uh, -to, -one to the US dollar. Okay, so in terms of inflation, what is the value of that money now? Uh, the inflation in Switzerland is always uh, pretty low, so make it uh, between 1% to 2% per, uh, per year. So That's still we'll, nothing, though. That's not a lot to live on. Yeah, but that, 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 that's an apprenticeship salary. So usually, as an apprentice, you're uh, 16 to 19. You tend to live, of course, with uh, your parents, so your cost level is pretty low. Yeah. So it's basically just uh, pocket money, because don't forget, you only work for three days, yeah, yeah. and two days ago, uh, you go to school, okay. right, mm -hmm. to learn the, the, the theoretical side. So that's how I ended up in, uh, in logistics. So it was a big coincidence. Basically, I was looking for a travel agency uh, role, but then as the company had a vacancy in, in uh, transport, and I did probably pretty good in the two interviews and the exam, they selected me. So then you stayed at that company, did you stay, after the apprenticeship, did you stay with that company? I stayed with uh, that, that company, though uh, after the three years after graduation, I went for four months to uh, to San Francisco to improve my, uh, my English. I see. Then when I returned, I rejoined uh, the, uh, the same company. Actually, this was prearranged before I went to San Francisco. So when you went to San Francisco, you knew nothing, no English, no nothing? No, I had basic English in Switzerland, you do get to know, uh, you have to learn uh, a foreign language, usually it's, uh, it's, uh, it's English, so I had basic English, but uh, not uh, to the level that I could have a, 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 a chat with you in a, in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a very Swiss accent when you were growing up? Definitely. <laughs> very much, and I kept that Swiss uh, accent uh, and for for many years, for all my working years in in Switzerland, which uh, were, let me see, from ninety uh, basically for ten years in Switzerland, and then you know I moved to uh, to Asia, yeah. and, and there for the first couple of years, uh, as I always worked either in Swiss or uh, German or at least German speaking uh, companies, I still had the the Swiss, the German uh, intonation. Yeah. So then, did, was it with that apprenticeship company that you moved to Asia? Uh, no, I had uh, one or two changes in the, in Switzerland. Okay. I also continued further studying yeah. uh, along uh, my, uh, my, my proper uh, job mm -hmm. in terms of marketing, in terms of uh, management. And in uh, 93, actually it's a... Uh, I, I always wanted to go to work abroad. It was my wish, my desire as a, a young boy to explore the uh, the world. Anywhere specific uh, or just get out, get out I, of Europe? Well, at that time I was uh, thinking about the United States or uh, Latin America, which was uh, a bit closer to, 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 to Italian, to, 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 to my... Uh, native language along with uh, German, mm -hmm. but uh, somehow uh, I, uh, I sent by mail, I sent different applications to, uh, to different uh, uh, logistics companies, to big logistics companies, uh, to the United States and to, uh, to Asia, wherever I saw uh, something which was of interest, and strange or uh, surprisingly uh, to, uh, to me, 
A couple of weeks later, I received an answer from a little uh, city in uh, Switzerland called Schindeligi in the middle of the countryside uh, yeah. in the um, area of uh, Zurich, inviting me for, uh, for an interview. Ah. It turned out to be a company called Kühnenagel, which nowadays is number one in air freight as well as in uh, sea freight. And uh, yeah, had my, I had an interview there. Uh, with uh, two uh, two gentlemen, one an HR director and the other one mm. was the air freight director. All that went uh, went fine. So uh, spent a couple of years in Switzerland, then you moved. So then you moved abroad. Where was that first destination? The first destination was uh, Hong Kong. And did you request that specifically, or were you just you were just sent off into the abyss? Well, after the interview in Switzerland, uh, of course, I knew they, they were uh, looking for somebody for uh, for Hong Kong for air freight. And uh, yeah, of course, I, I was open to anything. I would have gone anywhere, yeah. right? But uh, of course, Hong Kong was even more uh, exciting. And uh, uh, luckily for me, a couple of months prior to that, I had been on a, on a holiday in uh, in Asia for the first time. So I had a I had an idea of uh, uh, of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is now in '93. So I. Suddenly, was in Hong Kong. I was among. I was the air freight manager among fifty uh, Hong Kongese uh, staff uh, in uh, the uh, old area uh, Kowloon Bay, where all the air freight forwarders were sitting. The airport at that time was still Kai Tak, which nowadays does no longer exist. And how is the city compared to now? Was it was it as developed? Was there skyscrapers? Is it as as we Hong Kong as we know Hong Kong to be today? No, um, it was as you know Hong Kong to be, only a bit less. Okay, so not as many buildings. The airport's well, not there. Well, the airport was there. It was just uh, the old uh, historic uh, airport uh, where uh, you landed in the middle of the city, and the aircraft was not landing uh, straight. Had to take a curve. Okay. Uh, and uh, mm. land uh, in, a, in a kind of inclined way, which also forced all the pilots who were landing on Hong Kong to have a special training just to uh, be allowed to land in Hong Kong because okay. you literally could see into the kitchen of uh, the, uh, the local local population. So you flying through the through the city yes. and then doing a hard like a hard left, a hard right. Yes. Wow. That's correct. Dang, dang. And this is this is on when it was under still British rule, right? This was in '93. This was still uh, British rule until first uh, of July '97. Yeah, when it passed, uh, when, it, when it was passed over to uh, to China. Did you see any initial differences when you between the British rule and the initial Chinese rule? I was there when uh, the handover took place, uh, but uh, for the first couple of years there was no nothing to which you could notice, which was of any uh, any difference. I think uh, uh, this remained like this for quite many years. Mm. I think only nowadays uh, uh, you you start maybe to see and maybe more to feel that uh, the, there is a bit of different vibe, that there is a new boss uh, mm. in, uh, in town. Did people want it? From what you remember, did people want to change over to China? Well, uh, people were scared, particularly those who had, uh, who had money, who were rich. A lot of them, they uh, left Hong Kong. Actually, they had prepared their uh, their path before by obtaining the, uh, the passport. Canada was very uh, high. Citizenship as well was pretty big, I'm assuming. Must have been. Yeah, sure. Uh, I remember particularly Canada, USA. So people had already 
prepared, they, they, they left. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I, they saw that nothing was really uh, changing, they, they all came back because Hong Kong, per se, it's so easy to do uh, business. It's so efficient. It's, there, there is no bureaucracy. Uh, of course, it's a free port. It's uh, tax-free. This all uh, uh, helps. And certainly for, uh, for logistics, uh, that's why still up to now, Hong Kong is uh, the number one uh, cargo airport uh, worldwide. Is it still the number one? It's still number one, uh, huh. alternating with uh, uh, Memphis. But Memphis is big. That is, that is, I did not expect Memphis. Yeah, it's very big. Shanghai is number three. Shanghai is number three. Yeah, and uh, at that time, I'm talking about uh, the early uh, 90s, uh, Hong Kong was also number one in terms of sea freight because basically all the, uh, the, the, the cargo uh, from uh, South China mm -hmm. uh, was basically routed uh, through, uh, through Hong Kong. Dang. Only the last 10, 15 uh, years, of course, with China opening up, this has uh, changed uh, a lot in terms of uh, sea freight, uh, more and more uh, you ship directly out of uh, China. That's why now Hong Kong has fallen down the pecking order and it's probably uh, maybe still among the top 10 uh, container uh, ports in, uh, in the world, mm -hmm. but uh, definitely no more number one. That has become uh, Shanghai. In I terms see. of air freight, still in terms of, you have been there, in terms of uh, frequencies, in mm. terms of efficiency, in terms of customs, which in China is still a different cup of uh, tea, so you have to do all the, yeah, the proper uh, customs see. clearances. Mm. In Hong Kong, you don't have that. Oh, okay, that's good then. I mean, is it you, you, I mean, as the people know, we lived in, Ch we lived in Shanghai. You lived there twice in two different stings. Yeah. How was Shanghai different? So when we started living there? Well, uh, I, after my uh, Hong Kong time, I, I was actually uh, transferred and promoted to, uh, to a role in, uh, in Shanghai with the same company. So at that time, all uh, the, uh, the subways, all the uh, flyovers you, uh, you recall, they were, in, uh, they were being built. So there was a lot of dust. There was a lot of construction uh, sites. The traffic was very uh, cumbersome. And of course, you didn't have all these uh, fancy big cars you have now. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember at that time was uh, Santana. Santana was a joint venture uh, built car between uh, Shanghai Automotive uh, Company and Volkswagen. And Volkswagen. Yeah, that's their, the, the classic taxi. I mean, I'll put a photo up. You see the classic taxis. They're all the same Santana, Volkswagen style thing, just with different colors, signifying different companies. Did you know that? Uh, yes. You sure. that every every different color taxi was a different uh, different taxi company. They're all competing. Yeah, sure. You did. I didn't know this. They all looked the same. I got into the taxi. <laughs> At the time, I was the only interested in which t uh, which taxis had TVs. You know, no, remember they sure. had the little TVs in, in the taxi sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you lived so cumulatively. You lived in Shanghai for twenty uh, years. All all together, no, I think 16, 17 years. Do you speak Chinese? <laughs> Just uh, basic Chinese. Yes. Basic I Chinese I taxi do. directions. Taxi directions and uh, if I, if I know the topic uh, which is being discussed, I somewhat uh, get the gist. But uh, 
I think that's where it, uh, where, it, where it ends. Do you feel like you needed Chinese to succeed in, in China at the time, in Shanghai? No, I did not. Certainly not in terms of uh, business. Uh, because communication is, of course, very important uh, business-wise as well as privately, but in terms of business, uh, if you, you need to be able to express clearly what you want to, uh, to achieve. So uh, uh, doing uh, rhetorical somersaults uh, doesn't usually make uh, the, uh, the trick. You just need to clearly outline what you want to achieve. Is yeah. it a market share, meaning a volume, mm-hmm. or you want to get a profit? Of course, there is always a combination of, uh, of both. Mm-hmm. But you just need to be able to express clearly what uh, you want company as such and your your staff your department whatever uh, is under your uh, responsibility to understand what you want to achieve mm-hmm. so for uh, for that you don't need uh, you don't need Chinese you guys don't need to speak the same the same language in order to no of course it, it, it is uh, it is evident that uh, your counterparts your your uh, the people with whom you were working with they need to have a basic understanding of uh, of english because otherwise there is no communication but okay. as long as that is there mm-hmm. they uh, they they understand if you clearly express what you want they understand what uh, what you want and, then and this transcends uh, you being able to uh, to to speak chinese on a private uh, level, of course, it facilitates uh, if, if you speak uh, Chinese. Mm-hmm. That's so, for sure. What do you think is the most important lesson you've learned from living, let's say, in China? What's the f- important lesson you think you've learned from all your experiences, from Hong Kong to Shanghai to all the different stinks? Respect. Respect? Res- respect towards the, uh, the local people, the local staff, the local culture. Uh, to, uh, to, to to the country because no matter what position you're there, uh, you're there as a ultimately you're a, a guest. Mm-hmm. And if you put uh, uh, it in the in the context of uh, you being an expat being sent by a foreign company into that country, uh, even more so, you know that you will be there for two, three, four uh, years, whatever the the the, 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 the company thinks it's uh, it's appropriate mm-hmm. so you need to uh, treat the local people with respect you need to do a know-how transfer because that's ultimately the the aim of any company who sends an expat in a certain country you do know-how transfer because no company will maintain uh, what a, is know-how tra- what, do you, what do you mean by know-how transfer well uh, uh, business know-how how to to manage the company, how to put strategies into place to make the company grow, or how to optimize a company, or if you're in a in a in a country like uh, China in uh, the first as well as in the second stint that you need to expand, you need to develop. So you need to have certain uh, uh, methods how to do that, and then you need the local people to uh, to implement it. Mm-hmm. So you, you you show the the direction, you show the path, mm-hmm. and then at some point, which is happening now, a lot of foreigners are being replaced by the local people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because as an expat, you have certain uh, privileges, you have certain packages. Uh, salary, you have housing, you have car and so on. And on the long run, no company can sustain that uh, level of uh, expense. So the, the role as an expat 
uh, is uh, very much also a know-how transfer towards the local people. So in, in a sense, you're there to help strengthen and develop the people there as well as the company itself? Of course, yeah, because any company, uh, logistics or whatever industry, you ultimately depend on uh, the know-how, on the dedication, on the loyalty of uh, the, uh, uh, the staff you have. Mm-hmm. So the more you can bind them to your uh, company with uh, know-how transfer, with, uh, with expanding their uh, business know-how, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's uh, how you can and you, you become successful. So then what, what were some of the challenges you encountered then? Because we talk about, you talk about respect and how that's very important, being able to connect to your staff. What was the challenges in terms of dealing, dealing with people in your complete new culture, a way of doing business? That must have been very different in terms of certain practices and acts by other people, other businesses, in terms of how they interact with each other. Well, uh, there were a lot of different uh, challenges and uh, in, in, in the various companies I worked, they were uh, different every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if uh, if I take one in particular, uh, when I took took over the company in China, uh, it was uh, quite clear that there were uh, uh, improper uh, ways of doing business uh, like. practices in in place which were not conducive for any international company to work with. Like what in in terms of. Uh, uh, incentives provided uh, uh, by certain subcontractors well, like, to, to, to current uh, to, to current staff. So, like bribery, in a sense, or uh, bribery, commissions, these type of things. So, uh, uh, there, uh, of course, at some point, you need to make a cut. Uh, in the sense that uh, you have to make your staff aware. Look, I know that there are improper practices in place. So. Either you stop it, or uh, the, the company will uh, will have to take uh, steps to uh, ensure uh, that these practices are uh, no longer in place. So, how did you find out? Were you approached yourself to, uh, with with bribery? And I would have had uh, the uh, the option as well to uh, to get uh, to get money for uh, for business, which I have never taken in my whole uh, life. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, to come back to that uh, situation, I made the, uh, the various people aware that I knew. I told them, uh, uh, to put it simply, uh, stop. I don't care what happened in the past, but now I'm here. Mm-hmm. These practices will not be tolerated. So either you follow or uh, you will be out. Then uh, it uh, happened that uh, some, they, uh, they uh, continued. They continued. So then, as a business leader... Uh, of course, uh, your first priority is that the company needs to continue to run properly, but at the same time, you need to take corrective measures. So you need to find a way or you need to uh, strategize uh, to, to, to do the changes you want to do without uh, uh, any major negative impacts uh, towards your business. Mm. Right? So uh, there, you had to show strong hand, you had to show... Uh, willingness to take tough decisions. Uh, be and how did you how did you find out that they were still on the dole, as people say, still taking bribes? Well, there there are uh, dif- different uh, ways, and um, 
usually uh, they say uh, speaking is silver, listening is gold. So um, when uh, suddenly you hear, look, I have two, three apartments uh, uh, and uh, you know that at that time the salary was quite quite low how can you afford that or if you show up uh, in the office every second month with a new mobile phone or with uh, there's a small details that you small you details and then of course you need to know your uh, your business you need to know what is uh, feasible what is not feasible so then uh, you you can make your uh, you can make your own picture was this widespread was this a normal thing throughout china at this time and do you think it's still happening well, the, this is uh, not uh, a singular uh, country, only because I lived in China. Of course, I have a bit of an insight there, but these practices are, uh, are everywhere, mm-hmm. irrespective of developing countries or uh, developed countries. Only uh, in, in uh, developing countries, uh, you have to put this into context that maybe uh, 20 years ago, a certain person was controlling a very significant amount of business and earning $300. So uh, to, to, to boost up the, uh, the income by having such a big responsibility, if uh, he or she can uh, get an additional $10 per container, the, this makes a nice little additional uh, pocket money for uh, their, uh, their family. So what I'm trying to say is wherever there is a, a, a country developing very fast and uh, there are very big discrepancies in terms of income mm-hmm. and wherever there is a, a person or departments who control a large junk of uh, business and have a big responsibility but their salaries are not aligned with that, mm-hmm. there, there is a risk. Yeah. of of uh, getting into malpractices. I see. This kind of links to what's happening in the UK. Have you been following this? That certain MPs, there was a, a Sky News investigation into uh, lobbying and consulting roles within the British Parliament where MPs were approached by a fake company, like a some, some uh, the journalists created it on the backs just, just randomly. And then they would go and inv- send emails to a, Various MPs, Matt Hancock, some of the former Defense Secretary, send them emails saying, "Okay, this is this is our this is our industry, this is our company. We want to invite you for a, a board meeting, part time job with the annual pay of like eighty grand a, a year, just for like three four meetings." They would go to go for these meetings, and uh, obviously they'll be fake, right? But then they release the entire interview fo- footage of the interaction between the MP and the lobbyist trying to see what what kind of corrupt practices there were going on. And I think one reaction to it was that because MPs are perceived to be very well, uh, not very well paid, therefore they see the need to boost their income through nefarious, technically not nefarious means, technically not nefarious, but to get outside, outside lobbying and, and what does that, that pay and that relationship do? to do you actually represent your constituents view or are you representing the consulting in the company that you are being paid to do? So it's a very, it's a very interesting, did you have to, as a result of that, did you have to increase the pay of 
these uh, your your staff in order to try and reduce the incentive, or did, was it just staying like that? Because that's an argument that's been well, uh, okay. The, the the example I was making before this was more related to our potential uh, customers, yes. right? And I have to add, just for the record's sake, that. Uh, in the companies I worked, we never paid any kind of uh, backhanders to anybody. So, but I was talking in general that yeah. certain customers who have a lot of business and uh, the, the the person who's leading that may not be uh, paid uh, well enough. So the, the 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 jump, the link to maybe looking to to boost a bit their income is is understandable. It's enticing, yes. Yeah. Whereas uh, your example. Uh, even if these MPs are not paid uh, as, uh, as well nicely as they would like, as they would like uh, the, the, the comparison is uh, very different uh, to what I'm referring to. Yeah, but I think it's under the same, because you were talking about developed and uh, developing countries, and they have these both kind of simultaneous mm-hmm kickbacks and seeing other opportunities to boost their income. It's, I think it's irrelevant comparison uh, yes but on different oh, scales I think well, different scales well as you say the, the, the scale is very different I think uh, uh, the, the, the income of an MP in a, in a very poor uh, uh, developing uh, country is not is, is, is it's incomparable that's why it's, it's incomparable so what I'm saying maybe the these MPs uh, put into context, this is more related to greed yeah. rather than, uh, you know, having worries how to feed the family. Mm. But it doesn't make it uh, right in any sense? I mean, it's that Robin Hood kind of argument. Taking from the rich, giving to the poor, or giving to themselves for their families? Well, that, 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 is, uh, that is correct. But... Um, Another topic is uh, the, the, the waders. Here in the United States, it's common and you're supposed to tip. Mm-hmm. But why do you need to tip? Yeah. Why do they depend on the tip to make a living? Because their salaries are not aligned to the, 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 the living expenses. That's mm-hmm. why tipping is... Uh, is kind of mandatory. Yeah. Whereas if you take Switzerland as an example, Tipping, yes, you can, but by no means it is uh, it is requested because they are paid properly. They are paid better, of course. Uh, it's always a nice gesture, and it's a gesture of appreciation that uh, you you give a tip. Mm-hmm. But uh, here in the states, it's more survival, uh, survival, yeah. which is a different cup of tea. It is a very different cup of tea. I remember when we went, some friends we went to a, a, a cocktail bar in Waikiki. And then it was just all exchange, uh, we all just, all exchange students. So obviously we've just moved there. We didn't really understand the tipping, the, the culture of tipping, what you needed to do. So we all went, we all had a, we all bought a drink from the bar. It was like 10 of us, none of us tipped. None of us tipped, we got our drinks thinking, oh, no, nothing, nothing's changed, it's just normal. But then the waitress, the waitress and the bartender came over and said to us and pretty much screamed at us. It's like, you know, we make our living off these tips. The fact that none of you tipped, I know you're exchange students, so maybe maybe that's the case, but next time if you don't tip, we're gonna kicking you out. And you just show the, 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 like how dramatic and how it, it really, people depend on these, depend on these 
tips and governments aren't clearly doing anything <laughs> doing <Yeah>. anything <laughs> that's the i think that's the thing but i think you because you're in we're filming this in hawaii it's your first time here you knew nothing about the history of hawaii did you no nothing no nothing at all no i knew there is a very nice beach called Waikiki. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty That's much uh, all I knew. Did you have any business ever come through here? No. Never? Never. Hawaii's never crossed paths with mm, with China, no. with Hong Kong? It's not one of the main uh, trade routes for uh, for cargo. <laughs> Does cargo d- go this way? Like through the Pacific Ocean? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's one of the main trade routes from... Uh, Asia to to the United States. Now, Asia, in particular, China, is one of the main sourcing uh, markets for uh, for the United States. And yeah. I think uh, for for China, the USA is uh, the, fir- the the biggest uh, trading partner, and on on that particular route. And for the United States to China, it's their second biggest uh, trading route. So there is a lot of uh, cargo movements there. Yes. Mm. So With two different routes, by the way, right? What? One route is uh, uh, basically you go to the uh, west coast, to Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. from Los Angeles, then uh, you truck it to wherever in the United States. Mm-hmm. Or you go through the Panama Canal. Yeah. So you uh, you shorten the transit time by mm-hmm. five to ten days, depending on uh, what final destination you're, uh, you're going to. Unless it gets blocked. Mm, can't really get blocked. Well, we saw the canal a couple. Was that a couple years ago? Remember with the Evergrande, the Evergrande ship blocking the canal completely off. Oh yeah, okay, for like that, two weeks or something. Yes, okay, but that that was the Suez Canal. Yeah, it's I mean, the, but it's, the, the, the it's, it's the same. You know, the canals they can get blocked. Yeah, well, sure. Is yeah. this right? Does this happen regularly? And this has obviously has a knock-on effect, right? Oh, it has a very big uh, knock-on effect. But, uh, okay, in terms of Panama Canal, I don't, uh, I would not recall that it was ever blocked. No? There is a very long history about the Panama Canal. with uh, Countless wars. Countless wars, right? It belonged uh, to, uh, well, it was under the, uh, the management of the USA. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, uh, I forgot how many decades ago, they, they gave it back to, uh, to Panama. No? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, the, the, the Suez Canal, the, this is, I think, two or three years ago, where the Evergrande was basically, uh, yeah, run aground. Yep. It was, uh, was uh, diagonal, yeah. uh, blocking the, uh, the, 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 the canal. Yeah, This was billions of dollars lost uh, every day, right? Or accumulatively? Well, it was billions of dollars uh, basically stuck uh, on a vessel on the sea and they couldn't pass. Right, the only alternative would have been to go all the way, around. Uh, all the way, all the way back and tour around uh, Africa. Mm-hmm. So there, uh, I think the decision was well, what, what, uh, how long will this uh, uh, be Go on. ongoing? Yeah. yeah, when will be the the, the, the canal uh, free again to to pass? No? And then a further knock-on effect was when the canal was free, then all the ships started to go through. Then a big wave of uh, ships arrived at uh, at the ports. And then the ports were overloaded, right? Yeah, and, and they then, couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Besides all uh, the, the infrastructure problem, COVID, uh, port workers uh, uh, on uh, on strike or sick. The same with the trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a knock-on effect uh, all over in terms of supply chain. That's why 
supply chain uh, suddenly in, is in everybody's uh, mouth, mm -hmm. right? Because there is a lot of uh, money. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a lot of money. Uh, being traded. And Countries without, depend on it. Without logistics, without... Uh, uh, well, the trade depends on logistics because trade means you need to move physical goods from uh, point A to point, point B. Uh, mm. B. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank God for logistics then. Indeed, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, that, that, but that, when that canal was blocked, that must have been a real headache for you, right? <laughs> well, it was a headache for, uh, for everybody. It was a headache for... Uh, for, for retailers, it was a headache for uh, port operators, it mm -hmm. was a, for, for everybody, for the consumers. Yeah, true. Right? And we get the costs, obviously. A lot of the time, we the costs will get added onto us. Uh, well, of course, the, the, the companies, they still had a bit of a buffer, right? Yeah. Because all companies, they have a certain inventory level. But of course, if the inventory level is uh, is very low and you, you kind of uh, import on a just-in-time uh, basis, then uh, you, you have loss, uh, opportunity losses. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, then at some point, as a company, you need, you need to get it back. So exactly, the, yeah. the, the costs... At some point, will surely be uh, passed on to the uh, to the consumer. We're running out of time, so I think we'll, we'll stick the last the last my last thought. So, how would you like to be remembered in your thirty five years or what is it forty years in in logistics? What's the one thing you think well, your most pr your proudest moment? And obviously, then it may still come as well. It's still, you still a long way off retirement, are you? <laughs> uh, well, I, I still have a few years to go. Yeah. Well, how I would want to be uh, remembered? Well, looking looking back so far at my career, I think uh, I was more a bit the pioneer. I was always put in, in kind of uh, uh, unique uh, situations. So to answer your question, I think the, the, the companies, uh, I, I had a, quite a lot of turnarounds to, uh, to do. So I think it's my uh, one of my specialities to, to assist companies in, in uh, um, getting uh, to where they are supposed to be, meaning optimize, develop, uh, mm -hmm. uh, know how transfer of the staff and so on. So uh, I would think I would be remembered as the pioneer who corrected uh, failing or non uh, Efficient. Efficiently run uh, companies. Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you for coming on. I hope you enjoyed this little podcast, and I hope the dynamic wasn't too weird. No, no, it was uh, quite okay, actually. Okay. Thank you for having me. No worries. I expect this to be posted everywhere on LinkedIn. I to will. your 5,000 followers or what it is, it? whatever it is. I have a few. I can put your link down in this description for your LinkedIn if you want. <laughs> I, I think you will have to help me anyway how to, 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 to put it wherever I want to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. No it's very exciting. All very right. interesting. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye. <laughs> cool.